listeners, welcome back to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. I cannot wait for you to hear this energizing advocate for females everywhere, not just female entrepreneurs. Um, It is with Emily Tish Sussman. She is a family policy advocate, leading democratic political strategist, and mother of three. So she is a busy woman. We're honored that she's going to spend time with us today. You may recognize her from any of her many interviews with countless leaders, just small names that I'm going to mention, like Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, just to name a few, Stacey Abrams. And I do believe that I even saw her recently on her social media interviewing our female vice president. So I'll let her go into that in a moment. She is an advocate and an elevator of women's stories and has made many contributions to many publications such as Marie Claire, Bustle, She Knows, and Huffington Post. And most recently, she's focused her talents on growing her podcast, which is called She Pivots, which shares this stories and celebrates women who have had a nonlinear path to success, and what we can all learn from those unique pivots. So welcome, Emily. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to join. I love I love everything you're doing. Tons of alignment in this, so I can't wait to get into it. Me too. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you will. Give us kind of your background, your history, where you kind of started and how you ended up in the position that you're in today. You know, being able to have access to these amazing women and kind of telling their stories. Well, I'm a lawyer by training. and I always wanted to be an advocate. That was, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I felt like that was the best path to do it. So right after I graduated law school, I went to work on Obama's campaign, his first campaign in 2008, moved to Pittsburgh, worked in voter protection, like lived that rough campaign life, but it was all for the cause, you know, so we loved it. I moved to Washington from there and worked for about a decade in Washington working on federal policy. So what that means is that I ran campaigns to change federal laws, the laws that would impact the whole country, either change the laws or pass better laws through or get good campaigns around things that we wanted to happen. I worked really closely with the Obama administration. The White House would outsource campaigns for me to run um, often. And I started going on TV as a Democratic strategist So I was on, sometimes I was on Fox News every day around elections. I was on, um, I still am on CNN, MSNBC. I stopped doing Fox News because it started getting uh, really violent during the Trump administration. And at that point, I was starting to have kids and my husband was like, you're off. Like, you are not doing this anymore. And that was totally fair. Um, So in that time, I had, you know, on paper, my career was incredible. Like it was, it like, it looks like I had, I mean, I had hit like the height of what I wanted to hit. I was in a job at an incredibly prestigious think tank in senior management that I had created. They had created this job to bring me in a few years previous. And I got pregnant immediately after getting married. And then I had three kids in succession. So I had three kids in 18 months. And I, it is in 18 months. So the first two were in 18 months. I had three kids in three and a half years. And the first one was during Hillary Clinton's run in 2016. So I saw her at the convention, take the nomination. Five days later, I was 
on CNN. And that night I went into labor. Oh my gosh. And I was like, not like, I was not going to miss anything. And then four, <laughs> and then after four weeks, I went right back on CNN. I was doing a lot of CNN that cycle kind of depends on the cycle, how much network I'm on. I went right back on after four weeks and I would bring my baby with me and I would get my hair and makeup done to go on, which is what you, you have to with the networks. Like it's not just like to be fun. Um, and I would breastfeed right before I went on in the green room so that I wouldn't leaking when I went on air and I would do the segment and go back in and grab him again. At my first day back in the office after maternity, at the end of that maternity leave, my first maternity leave was the Monday after the election that Trump had won. Whoa. Yeah. So I feel like whenever I, t- whenever I talk about my career, it takes us to like all of our worst moments. Yeah. Like, everybody had a rough day that day, but I worked at a think tank that was called the Clint that was, you know, known as the Clinton White House in waiting. So people had literally packed up their bags because they knew which job they were going into the administration. Like their offices were packed. It was crazy. So the whole place was just a mess. But I came in with this energy and determination, not just because I hadn't been in the office the last 12 weeks. So I hadn't been in the day to day. So I had, you know, that kind of energy coming in. But I also came in with that new mom energy to prove that I was the same worker that I was, that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't lost to motherhood. Like I'm still serious. And so I was so determined to prove that. Boy, does that land with me. Gosh, I get that. I came in. I mean, it was crazy, the stuff that I was doing, right? But like, I really had to prove myself. So I ended up leading our think tanks kind of uh, repositioning to the Trump administration. And because everybody was just in shock and I was so focused on proving that I was a good worker. I got pregnant when my son was eight months. So I, and I was sick during every pregnancy, by the way, like, like really a mess. Sick. So like the pregnancy is kind of like the whole thing. Like I was just a mess for like five years, basically. Because I was just so sick. But I was still determined to prove that I was, you know, the same worker. But then when I went out with my second maternity leave, I, just, I couldn't go back. Like it was so, when I thought about, it wasn't that I had this attachment to my kids that I wanted to stay home. That wasn't it for me, actually. I really didn't feel connected to babies. And I felt guilty about the fact that I had no connection to my kids. But I had a lot of health problems from the pregnancies being so close together. You know, a lot of sleep deprivation, probably postpartum that we've really never addressed. And the idea of going back into a high-paced environment in a job that was high-paced because it was created for me, because Mm -hmm. that's how I worked, Mm -hmm. was so difficult and soul-crushing. I did not see a way that I could do it. So I ended up not going back at the end of that maternity leave, going into some political consulting on my own with some friends. And I started a political podcast then where I got to do a lot of those great interviews um, called Your Political Playlist. But then, you know, we were going into the 2020 presidential election and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have this kid right before the Iowa caucus. I'm going to have this third kid right before the Iowa caucus. I'll have my brain back by the time we get to the general election. I'm going to I'm going to join that campaign. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know who the nominee is going to be, but I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm going to do it. Well, life did not exactly work out that way. I had the third baby. Um, I interviewed Hillary Clinton the Friday before the Iowa caucus. We, her interview published that day exclusively in the New York Times and ran, um, it, it dominated the news cycle all weekend going into the Iowa caucus. And I was like, well, I guess I've done one good thing. Okay, that feels good. I had the baby like a week later. Oh my God. 
And then <laughs> I was like editing my New Hampshire early state from the hospital, that episode. And then three weeks later was the lockdown. So all of my ideas of what I was capable of doing was predicated on childcare, like not just access to the world, but like childcare, which had suddenly evaporated. So now I'm locked down with a three-week-old baby, a two and a three-year-old. And every vision of myself, like the only way I knew how to evaluate myself was as was professionally and as a political strategist. Mm -hmm. And I physically could not do it. Like I was not capable of doing it. Being at the intersection of politics and media, both of those things are predicated on having the most recent information. Sure. There was no way I could keep up on the most recent information. Right. Oh, I, I, when I heard about your podcast hitting rock middle, I love that so much. Although I'm not sure that I ever hit rock middle. Like I actually think I just went to the bottom. Like I was just in such a dark, a dark place. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how I could change my perspective to have a vision of myself that was positive or successful. Like my own, my only visions of success were dashed. Like I could not figure out how to see them. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about, well, like, what do I need to read? Who do I need to hear? Like, what is going to help me get out of this? And this is, a, by the way, a many months long process, maybe a years long process. But I So really I don't know if you know this, I'm an attorney too, right? Recovering lawyer as well. Oh, we find each other. It's, we do find each other. And I practiced 10 years, um, did labor and employment litigation. And, but it's the same, especially you and I, we turn to information. We're like, it's always been a great resource. We can research our way out of this. I can figure it out how I would pivot. I just need to go and find it. It exists out there. I got to go. So I, I just, I had to stop and say, oh my God, that's exactly where I was. I don't totally understand you, but, um, and, and the reasoning behind that. So then what happened? Totally. And by the way, when season one of She Pivots launched it, uh, when season one of She Pivots launched, we had a number of profiles coming out and one of them was um, in my law school's alumni letter. And at first I was like, oh God, we don't really have time for this. Like, I don't know if we should prioritize it. And then I paused and thought, you know what? We really should prioritize this because everybody pivots out of law at some point. Everybody. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone's like, who loves it? I'm like, I, I'm still waiting to find that magical person, but <laughs> I loved it looking. for a little, for a very brief moment. Very brief. So, so exactly. Like I, I started, it was the research. I started to think about like, what do I need to hear? And I needed to hear stories of women who had been faced with something external to themselves mm -hmm. and then changed their perspective and then found success that they couldn't have found had this thing not happened to them. And they were able to build that into something better, like something they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Like I needed to know that it existed. For sure. Hey listeners, we are so excited to share that the fourth annual Brim Retreat will be taking place in Austin, Texas. This is the premier event for female entrepreneurs that are ready to take their business to the next level. Taking place from April 30th through May 3rd, this three-day event is led by expert business coach Sally Holder and perfectly combines opportunities to connect, learn from the best across industries, and fill your cup with exclusive experiences and group activities. This is your chance to join 150 other phenomenal entrepreneurs and get away from the distractions of everyday life. 
Give yourself the dedicated time, space, and experiences that will enable you to come back and create massive leaps in your business. So are you ready to have your aha moment in Austin with The Brim? To grab your ticket or learn more, visit us at growwiththebrim.com. But hurry, because this event will sell out. Tell me that the worst thing that I think that's ever happened to me is actually the best thing that ever happened to me. Tell me that it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I didn't just want to hear from women that were in the same position as me where like their children had been the the externality on their career Mm -hmm. because I found that sort of depressing, to be honest with you. Like I wanted to hear from all sorts of different women. Yeah, that presupposes that women are just, that's the old mind of thinking, right? It presupposes that's the only challenge we face, whereas there are millions of them. I'm going, I've just gone through a divorce. I think that's one of them with a a really devastating, shocking situation. I'm sure you can imagine that I've discovered after 18 years of marriage and But all of these different things happen to us throughout our lives. I think that everyone's going to have a point where they have to pivot, even if it is, you know, um, they believe it's, you know, going to be status quo forever. It just never is. It just never is. And I actually think that's one of the big things that I've seen. Well, I guess, you know, cut to the chase. We can figure this out that I turned it into a podcast. So (laughs) I think we can see where this went that I thought, you know, stories that I want to hear, I want to open it up. Like, I think maybe other people might want to hear them too. But even in that jump, even though, you know, I had a political podcast, I had been on TV as a political commentator for about 10 years. That was a pretty scary, like this piece was a pretty scary jump for me because I didn't know if anybody would be interested in hearing what I was thinking about personally. Oh, for sure. It's so vulnerable. You're showing up as you for the first time. The rest really of the time, the you're so yeah, yeah, you're supporting the candidates. So it's about them. Even if you're on TV, people think you know doing things like that is vulnerable, and in, and for a lot of people, it is. But a trained professional, not so vulnerable, right? It's a job, yeah. but showing up to truly right say this is something that matters to me. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's very um, exposing. It feels very naked. So. And, and it's, you're wondering, is anybody going to validate this thought that I have, or am I going to be out there all on my own? Yes, yes, exactly. And it came up at a really hard moment in time where everybody was going through something. And there was also this sense of, is my pain good enough? Like, is it enough pain? Uh, good point. Yeah. And yeah. that was really scary and vulnerable too. So, you know, it, it turns out other women did want to hear these stories. So that's been <laughs> so for, me, for that's damn been, sure. Yeah. So that's been, you know, successful and great. Um, and it's, and now I'm thinking about where do we take this? You know, we have it as a podcast. We launched as a limited series as we built basically the company around it. And I still don't totally know the answer. You know, does it become a book? Does it become a longer run podcast? Does it become events? Like I, I still don't really know exactly what the business model is, but I do know that we need to keep telling these stories. Like whether it's Absolutely. a specific one that happened to you or happened to someone you know, what the feedback that I've gotten from listeners is that some of the, at moments they needed it, some of the inspiration has actually come from stories that weren't similar to theirs. Yeah. But the perspective shift was the thing that resonated. So we're Absolutely. definitely going to keep doing it in some form. Oh, I, gosh, I'm just so glad that you're doing it. It didn't exist truly when I was making that 
transition or trying to, and I was looking for so many different things and trying to remember what year it was. But similarly, it was the year after I had my second child and I was trying to come back and finish up the partner track at my firm. And um, yeah, the firm had grown so much and it was just a radically different experience. And we then had, you know, close to a thousand attorneys or something. And so it was, you know, just a really fast paced environment. And um, it's very, very difficult to convince yourself that if you were to leave that, that you can create success again. Um, And that you're, it is not an either or that it's not a black or white that um, that a pivot is possible at all. Um, And especially if it's in a wildly different vein, right? Different career. But I always see the through thread, right? That there is some sort of, but you can only see that with hindsight. You don't get to see it when you're in the midst of, of all of the pain that requires the pivot. So, um, yeah, I think that's totally true. Yeah. You you really only can see it in hindsight. I mean, that, you know, going back to your firm, it's, it's very parallel to how I was feeling that they had, I mean, they had literally created this job for me. So Mm -hmm. it was, to my strengths. Yeah. Like it should have been, it's, I should have been able to go back into it, like to accept that I was a different person than I had been not that long ago was really, really hard for me to accept. Cause I kept thinking, well, I, of course I can do this. This job is literally the things that I'm good at. Yeah. And I still couldn't do it. That was a very hard reality to take. And I didn't think that I would ever find success. Certainly not at that level again. And I still yeah. don't know that I will, but I think that it's a, but my perspective has shifted. Um, and it is a different kind of success. You know, I am, I do drop my kids off at school every day. I pick them up most days. Those things are valuable to me. You know, last week I was traveling almost for a week doing interviews uh, and it like fell apart at my house. Like mm-hmm. it just totally fell apart. And now I'm back and I'm paying for it a little bit. And so I don't know exactly. There is no balance. I don't know how to balance it. I think I'm just trying to figure out like how much can I pull in at each one and still feel like I'm hitting reasonable goals for myself. Like I am a hustler and that's the only way I know how to work. And so if I'm given a little bit of space, I will just ram myself into it. Mm -hmm. And professionally, I don't know how to do that on the personal side, like in terms of like raising kids. So I I just don't. but that's one of the things that I love about you is is the fact that you're willing to say that and thank you because it it I don't know why we're expected to suddenly have a, a completely different you know demeanor and lose all of the parts of ourselves that were so identifiable like ambition and and drive and uh, just desire for for uh, excitement and relevant information and being on the cutting edge, right? All of those things are a huge part of it. Sounds like who you were, and and a lot of motherhood is about checking a lot of that at the door. If and, and it's so it's I don't know. Even listening to you, I'm kind of having an aha moment about like, of course, it would be radically difficult and um, you know almost impossible for a lot of people. But you take a stance on it, though, and this is what I freaking love, is you even have merch on it that says, my kids killed my career. So I have got to hear more about that and um, get you to extrapolate on that for us. And I love it. I do. I carry the bag around everywhere that says, my kids killed my career. I mean, they did. 
like they killed my political career. The version of my political career that I had worked so hard for is dead. I do not know if I will be able to revive it at some point in time. I don't know if I want to revive it at some point in time. I'm not really sure. When Biden was elected, of course, I was happy, but I was also a little depressed because everyone I knew was going into the White House or was going into the administration and they were getting all these jobs that I had always wanted. And I thought, well, I I was good enough. Like I could have I could have done that. And but my life circumstance didn't allow for it anymore. You know, I couldn't have handled it with the three kids and I don't live in Washington anymore, which would have been a real barrier to working there. But, you know, even when I interviewed the vice president, I was backstage with um, some of her staffers and we were chatting about it, just about how nostalgic it was for me and how it really hit something in me to be around all of them because they have such a high intensity energy that I feel comfortable in. And I don't see on it. I don't see it anymore because it's not like at the PTA, you know? And um, I mean, it's a different high intensity energy that I don't think I'm really right. tapping into all that well. <laughs> yeah. I also but, feel like the outsider in. Yes. I get yeah, that. totally. <laughs> but I was. That room I'm is now, far more intimidating than the one with the vice president. 100 100%. 100%. 100%. There is a PTA happy hour tonight, and I'm probably not going to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Scared shitless. Yes. Scared shitless of that. Yeah. But you know, when I was talking with the vice president's staff, I'm much more comfortable now being open about this, saying it's exciting for me to be around you guys. I love being around it. I feel comfortable because of this energy that you have. And it's also a little bit hard and sad for me because I know that I was good enough to have worked at this level. I know that I was, and it's not going to be available to me for many years, if ever. Like by the time my kids are old enough for me to be in one of those high intensity jobs again, I might be stale. Like I might not have political connections the way that I do to this administration or, you know, did to the past one. So (laughs) in that way, my kids really did kill my career, but they made it possible for me to do things that I have never, had never even thought was possible. You know, talking about divorce is like opening up a new a new chapter and a new possibility. One of the most interesting conversations that I had on the podcast this past season was about how a divorce opened up the possibilities for her with Kristen Cavallari, who was on The Hills. Yes, I saw that episode and I actually noted it. I, that is going to be the first thing I do when I get off this interview because I need to hear that, right? We all need to... Yeah, hear that story. Yes, absolutely. And she never would have talked to me if I was a political strategist. So, you know, like things like that. You know, you, you know, I pitched the show to Marie Claire um, and they said yes. And they are my media partner on the show. And Marie Claire has always been a dream for me. So, you know, being a contributor to the magazine is a dream come true. Like I just have flexibility in a way that I never would be able to have if I was still in a political career. I mean, I do have bright purple hair. Like that is also something that I would not be able to pull off if I were still living in Washington and the black suit nation. Uh, Which is so freaking amazing. I love love it. it. It's a permanent choice now. I love it. Yes. One of my best friends has pink hair. My twin sister, identical twin, has the blue tips on the end. I think individual expression is amazing. It's the era of looking for a little joy wherever we can find it, right? It's so true, yeah. And the break brings me joy. My nanny has neon pink hair, like neon pinks. 
And mine is like pretty neon purple. And so we say that wherever we go, we look like my little, like a, like my little ponies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Now you're bringing back nostalgia for me. I'm like, oh, loved my little pony. Oh God, that makes me laugh. Oh, um, you can find us in a crowd for sure. Oh, for sure. So you're a few years into this entrepreneur thing. And guess what? It's hard. When things get tough, it's easy to start feeling like everyone's got it figured out except for you. But that's not true. You are capable of creating anything you want, but nobody's ever showed you how to get there without pulling your hair out. That changes now. The Brim's Revenue Accelerator is the only intimate 12-month group coaching experience created by business expert Sally Holder. Consider it like your fast pass to success. Just like at an amusement park, you can wait in a long line and hopefully get on the ride before it closes, or you can find a better way. Grab the fast pass and get to your goals with ease. So what do you say? You can keep on as you have been, or you can join the Revenue Accelerator and get on your way to five times the revenue growth, along with a community of real entrepreneurs that will cheer you on, hold you accountable, and provide the safe space to get real about running a business. Head to growwiththebrim.com to set up your call and talk with a Brim team member to get signed up today. So, you know, what advice then, because you've interviewed so many of these amazing women who have pivoted, what advice do you have for the women out there that are listening that are in the midst of a pivot or maybe feeling kind of similar to the way that you just described so beautifully, like they feel like their old identity no longer serves them? right? And they're just kind of lost. I think that we have so much talent out there. And, you know, that I've heard this, that the World Bank named, it said that the answer to poverty and homelessness around the world is the unlocking of and unleashing the potential of female entrepreneurs. And I do think that there's so much of that sitting on the sidelines. And if they could learn to pivot, um, and and realize just how valuable they are that we could make such a shift in this world. But so how can they get started? What what's what's kind of a big overarching question? But well, I think the first thing is the is the perspective shift that mm-hmm. you might actually have to say goodbye to that version of yourself. Yeah, which is tough. Ooh, so hard. And there's no quick fix to it. Like you have to go through that process. There's and no when dis- you say that, like grieving, I mean, give us a, is it- yeah, I mean, some version of grieving, I'm a big trial and error person. Mm-hmm. So I just try something like I don't let not knowing it all the way, keep me from, from trying something. I think of it as a trial and error process. So, you know, maybe it's trying on work, you know, if you want to do something creative, do something creative and, you know, try to sell it in a circle, you know, like a circle of your friends. If you want to do some consulting on something that you think you're an expert on, offer it to someone, you know, as a one client free service and build up what you actually need to know to then turn it into a consulting business. Like start with something. I would always do this on campaigns too. I'd say to people, you know, if you're not sure if you want to work on a campaign, you're not sure this is for you. You just want to get involved. Like, just volunteer, like just start with the first day and see if something resonates there. But I think once you get to that perspective shift, um, once you get to that perspective, sorry, I recorded um, content for the Marie Claire uh, Instagram account. The editor is telling me she's watching it now. 
Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, you know, like, I think I think once... So it's really hard to let go. This is why I keep coming back to like, you know, the rock middle. Like it's actually really hard to let go if you're still in the middle. Yeah. It's actually to some degree easier to let go and change your perspective if you've hit rock bottom because it's a necessity. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. And at rock bottom, everybody wants you to change. They're like, oh, gee or Jesus, get out of there. Whereas in rock middle, everyone's like, but everything seems to be going great. Why do you need to change anything? Like, just stay where you are. And you're like, yeah, but I'm miserable. And they're like, yeah. don't, don't talk about that. Totally. Exactly. So, you know, if you're looking for a big shift, you have to make big moves. Like you have to step away from it to be able to, to be able to actually make space for the new thing. Like it's really hard to see yourself in a new thing if you're still stuck in the old thing. Wow. I'm literally writing this down and it'd be such good quotes, such great things to remember. I mean, making that space is so true. If you're already full and your focus is still on the past, it's really difficult to begin to find something new. Um, And I think that, you know, everyone's circumstances are different. And I think that all depends on like being realistic. You know, I spoke mm -hmm. with a woman last week who was telling me that she's, she's successful in her field, but actually really unhappy and wants to make a big shift and she has no kids. So she is in a position to fully end her career, step away and start working for, I think she wanted to work in nonprofits, like, which would be lower income, but like her Mm -hmm. expenses are lower and more flexible. So that is realistic for her. You know, if someone is still supporting their family, thinking about starting something as a side hustle, you know, maybe volunteering whatever time you have to be able to make professional inroads the place you want to go so that by the time you're ready to actually leave the thing you're stable in, you're already built up and established enough to be able to have like a good income in that or are there federal programs to be able to help. Like I think being realistic about the financial underpinning will make it feel tangible and real and not just like, oh my God, I'm so stuck, I can't change. So, so true. So of of all the interviews that you've done around the pivot, who do you feel like, you know, kind of shared the like deepest, most um, difficult stories of, you know, how far down they went, you know, speaking of the rock bottom? Yeah, that's a great question. In the first season, I would probably say Paula Nira, who was a... She went to the Naval Academy and was a Navy officer and then came out as trans in the 90s and it ended her Navy service. She then became a trauma nurse and then a lawyer. And now she's a hospital executive. Oh my gosh. I know she's lived a hundred lives. Her story is fascinating. So I would check that out in season one. And we have, we've recorded already some really unbelievable stories that are coming out in season two. Um, I think probably the two that really, I don't cry much when I'm doing interviews, but I cry sometimes. Um, We interviewed a 95-year-old Holocaust survivor, which was incredibly poignant, especially at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also a woman who is Ukrainian, has been living in the U.S., working for many years. And as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, she went back immediately. And she's been living back in Ukraine, supporting her father, running a, a military unit. And he is he is a civilian who is now a military officer. Wow. So speaking with her 
you know, th- that's like a real externality, right? Like that has nothing to do with having kids. Like literally, you're, you know, it just made it so real. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know what you would do in that situation. Like you just, it, she makes it so accessible to put yourself into her shoes. And I was able to then meet up with her. I was actually going to go to Ukraine to do the interview and then it got, the violence went up. So we couldn't do it. So we ended up meeting in London and it's so raw on her. A a lot of it is still difficult for her to talk about. It was really like left a real, it definitely left a real impression on me speaking with her. And I hope that comes through in the audio. Oh, I'm sure it will. I cannot wait to listen to that episode. So then conversely, which one do you feel like has given you kind of the the greatest sense of hope and kind of excitement about, you know, women's ability to change and I think face adversity and come out the other side stronger and better and happier? Ooh, what a great question. I would say, um, I would say probably Ty Beauchamp in the first season. Uh, She was the youngest editor of Teen Vogue at 25 and it burnt her out really quickly. And she ended up going on to be a community organizer, a beauty editor. And she's now created, she's now started a VC and invests in um, like a lot of beauty brands for women of color. And she does this morning mindset with Ty that I love so much that she literally gets on Instagram every single day and people like start their morning with her in an inspiration way, an inspirational way. I love Ty so much. That was so good. Oh, and Stacey London. Yes. What not to wear. Yeah. I loved interviewing Stacey. She's exactly as you'd hoped she would be and even better. Yeah. Stacey was a great one too. Okay, good. I love that. So, you know, you've spoken about the fact that, you know, along the way, you've got to be realistic and you know, try different things, get new skills, reframe the setbacks. Um, so you've done a lot of those things already. So what's now driving you now that you've kind of moved past that initial reframing and the initial pivot? I'm still doing those things, to be honest. Oh, nice. I'm okay. still doing it. I mean, I'm getting very involved in my local community, which when I worked in federal policy, you know, I thought I was the kingmaker, right? You know, like I was making like changing laws for the whole world and the whole country. But now I'm super involved in the local. That's what's feeling tangible and gratifying to me. And I'm, I'm changing, uh, thinking about what my impact is. You know, I, I think of myself as still having impact, but I'm changing not just the scale, but the focus. So with a career in federal policy, I was changing laws, Like that's what I worked mm-hmm. on. I don't do that anymore. Now I'm thinking about changing culture. So I'm trying to change culture through these conversations, reframing that you can have a successful career that looks different than the one that you started with and being able to talk about these personal pieces of your career, like how they're intertwined. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just what's on your resume. It's all of it together and how it actually can make you a better worker, a happier person, like whatever the new metrics of success are. Um, I'm investing in places that now follow my values. Um, I'm very involved with our affordable housing here locally. You know, just thinking about how do I spend my bandwidth in a way that is different, but is still impactful. Oh, I love that. So 
And I think this is such a great question for us to really kind of wrap up such a beautiful, poignant conversation. You know, we at the Brim always believe in women's ability to make such an impact, just like you're talking about. I would venture to say you have great advice for all of our female entrepreneurs out there that are listening and in, even just women um, who are listening that want to get involved and make a bigger impact in their own communities. Right now, that's such a pivotal time for women and for us to make our voices heard. You know, what can they do to make a difference and feel like they're do some, doing something to be able to create change and help women as a whole? Kind of where do you tell women to start? raise your hand. If you see something that you want changed, change it. Like, don't be the one to wait. Like, don't wait for somebody else to do it. You, It's unbelievable right now what a brain drain there is in government at a local level, like in decision-making at a local level, in school boards. There is just, people are hoping that someone else is going to do it. And the someone else that's going to do it is not going to do it as well as you're going to do it. And they're not going to have your best interest in mind. And they're not going to necessarily have your values. So be the one to do it. Even if you don't know what you're doing, let me tell you, that guy who's in there already, he doesn't know what he's doing either. So you have everything you need to be able to jump in and say, I'm going to be the one who does it. Just because you care. Yes, because you care and because you have lived experience. Yeah. So if you know, you know, especially think about leveraging the things that you have. Who did I interview the other day? I loved this so much. I don't remember who it was. They were saying that being a mom and particularly being a single mom gave them the best business background they could have imagined because they know how to organize. They know how to delegate. They know how to produce something. And so leading with that, thinking about that, So it doesn't hold you back, but actually it empowers you because your lived experience has given you the best perspective that you and the best training to be in that position. Oh, couldn't agree more. Yes. I mean, women tend to far underestimate their skill set, as I think Sheryl Sandberg long ago kind of said, their our ability to dismiss ourselves is very high. Um, so we can lean into all of the tech in a different way than maybe she's talking about, but we can, didn't mean to hit it that on the nose, but um, to all of the skills that we do have there, you're valuable. They are all valuable and they will help create a greater impact in your community than, than we think. Yes, hugely so. And also, if you don't feel like you're the person that can do that, then offer to be the childcare for the person that thinks that they can. Wow, what a great point. That's the biggest thing that holds us back is the childcare. So look, we have all the ability, we have all the intelligence, like we have the skills to do it. It's honestly the childcare that holds us back. So if you're not going to be the one who goes out and knocks doors, then offer to watch kids for someone who wants to. Oh, I mean, I don't know how you could listen to this conversation and not be completely pumped up. Um, Emily, this has been so great. And best news is, Everyone's going to get to meet you in person because you're coming to Austin for our business retreat in uh, April 2023. You are going to want to be there and hear many more of her stories about women just finding the best version of themselves through the pivot. And I just absolutely love that. It's been my experience too. It's why I knew that we had to have you there being able to 
just empower the rest of the women in the audience and now on the podcast. So thank you for joining us. Yes, I'm so excited and I'm excited to be there in person. Me too. So if people want to follow you, get in touch with you, watch the next pivot you're going to make as you grow the podcast and um, which is called again, She Pivots. Um, Make sure to access it, obviously, anywhere you're listening to podcasts. Um, Where can they find you, get in touch with you, etc.? Follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast. Perfect. I can't wait to go back and binge some episodes myself. I know all of our listeners will as well. They've just found an incredible new voice for women, and I'm thrilled to be able to make that introduction. So thank you, Emily. Really appreciate you. Have um, Thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. Again, I hope this made your day and your business just a little bit better. 